Let's read God's words together. Today we're reading from Genesis 18, 16 through 33. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left, and Abraham returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. All right, let's pray. Father, we, we come this morning uh, to a passage that um, is hard and one that, that is the entry point into one of the more difficult stories that we find uh, you've given us in your word. So help us this morning uh, to, to see what is happening, to see how you have called Abraham and by extension called us uh, to respond uh, and to intercede and pray for, uh, for the, the wickedness around us and for the sin and for the brokenness that we see. Uh, we need to hear what you have to teach us this morning. And so please teach us in Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
So we've been working our way through the life of Abraham and Sarah, trying to ask this kind of central question, what does it look like to walk by faith? What does it look like to try to follow God? And we've said that Abraham is a good model for us because one of the dynamics of Abraham's life is that there are lots of promises that the Lord gives that he doesn't ever actually get to enjoy in, in all of their fullness. Uh, and so that resonates with us because there are times that God calls us to do certain things and, and follow him in certain ways. And it's not altogether always clear why he's leading us in certain directions. And so there's a lot to be learned from Abraham and Sarah. Some of the themes that we've seen, we've seen the centrality of worship. We've seen how important it was for Abraham to set up these different locations to worship the Lord, how, how much that is a function of uh, centering the different stories. Uh, we've seen that God has provided promises and he has made his plans known to Abraham and Sarah. And what we've seen is that is that they don't always get it. Uh, and that resonates too, right? Because God reveals things to us in his word and we don't always get it. Uh, there are moments where Abraham and Sarah are like, you know, following God and they're, they're, they're really faithful. And there are times when they just absolutely blow it. Uh, in, in significant and really sometimes in really horrible ways. Uh, and that resonates for us today, right? Because we know in our own lives that there are times where we, our faithfulness is really great and there are times when we look at our lives and you're like, how did I, how did that happen? Uh, and so this is the story of Abraham and Sarah. Well, now today we come to what is, as I mentioned in the prayers, like this is, we're, we're entering into one of the most difficult passages in scripture. Uh, and um, not just in the book of Genesis. And, and so what I want to invite you to uh, do today um, is I want you to take the things that you think you know about this passage and, and put them aside uh, and join me in looking at this passage. And we're going to do the same thing next week when we look at the actual, uh, the actual visit to Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, to join me in looking at this with fresh eyes. And so that what we will see here, I think, uh, is not what many of us assume we will find. Many of us who are familiar with this passage, uh, the way that this passage is interpreted, the way that this passage is understood is that this is a depiction of this, uh, you know, this mean ancient Near Eastern deity who has just come in to uh, attack the city. Uh, and, and that would fit very much in line with other ancient Near Eastern mythology, about how deities work, you upset the deity, the deity comes, the deity comes down crashing. You know, think of Zeus with his bolts of lightning. Oh, Zeus is not ancient or Eastern, but you get the point. Um, what, what we find, however, uh, is, a, is, a, uh, is that the Lord is responding to the cries of the oppressed. He's responding to the cries of the oppressed. He is very measured in his response, and he invites Abraham into prayer, uh, prayer on behalf of this particular city. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to look, first of all, at Abraham's priestly role. Now, I've, Abraham is, when we're, uh, and the word priest is in italics there, because there's, Abraham is not a priest, uh, but he functions in a priestly role in this particular passage. We're going to look, first of all, at Abraham's priestly role. Uh, secondly, we're going to look at Abra uh, Yahweh's response to oppression. The, the word Yahweh is the the divine name of God. So anytime you see in your Bible, the, the word Lord in all capitals, 
that's a reference to God's divine name being used in Scripture. Uh, Jehovah is the way some people translate it. Yahweh is, is the word, way I, I say it. Um, and then lastly, we're going to look at Abraham's priestly intercession. So we're going to see what it is that's happening as Abraham begins to pray and how that affects the way that we should pray. Um, now, I've used the word intercession a couple times. So kids, the word intercession uh, basically means when, you, when it, one person goes in between two other people to make things right. So if you can imagine, like say two of your friends, maybe you're, you know, you've got siblings and your brother and sister or your brothers are fighting or friends at school are fighting with each other and you're the one that's trying to help make things right in between them, then you are interceding. That's what that word means. Now in the Bible, in scripture, prayer is referred to as intercession. So whenever we pray for other people, we are said to be interceding, or that is a prayer of intercession, okay? All right, so we jump in, and the first thing that we notice is we kind of situate ourselves, and this is important because we're going to start with the gospel this week as opposed to end with the gospel, okay? And we'll start with the gospel, and the gospel is that Jesus saves us from uh, our sin, and he saves us to something. He saves us to become, according to Hebrews uh, seven says that Jesus is able to make intercession for us because of his role, who he is, right? So Jesus is the one who intercedes for you and me. He is the model. He is the true intercessor, okay? Uh, and so what happens here is we see that Abraham is functioning as a picture of Jesus for us. He's not a priest, but he's functioning in that role uh, as the story develops. And the reason that he is able to function in that role is because of who he is. Okay, now who is Abraham? I'm glad you asked. Genesis uh, 18, verses 17 to 19, this is what we read. So this is the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, this is the Lord. And, um, you know, it's almost like an internal monologue here that we see. And the Lord tells us something very important about who Abraham is. He says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. Excuse me. All right. So Christopher Wright is, a, uh, is an Old Testament theologian who's written this uh, really, really great book called The Mission of God. And so this first point, I'm like beg, barring, and stealing from Chris Wright. Uh, and if you're interested, he's got about nine pages that he wrote on, on this chapter alone. Uh, and if you're interested, I'll be happy to share his insights with you. I'll make a photocopy of it. Uh, what... what um, What's happening here is that God restates Abraham's call. He says that Abraham is uh, going to be this individual. Can you go back one slide so I can, I can talk off that verse? Uh, what he says is that God is going to be, um, um, Abraham is going to be a blessing to the nations. That this is Abraham's particular role that he has for his people. And if you look at verse 18, he says, Abraham, all of the nations of the world will be blessed through him. This is a, re, a restatement of the promise that we've seen probably six or seven times at this point. So God begins by stating Abraham's unique role. 
And then what happens is the Lord is coming to Abraham and says, Abraham, all of the nations of the world are going to be blessed by you. But you need to know that there's one city in particular, two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, that may not experience that blessing. We'll find out why in a minute. But so the Lord is coming to Abraham because of this unique role. It's very similar to Jesus in John 6 where he says, I know all that the Father has given me. And so again, Abraham has got this like, he's giving us this picture of who Jesus is and how it is that God works through Jesus. And the key phrase for us to latch on to, if you've got your Bible open, if you like to underline in your Bible, uh, this what, Jesus, what the Lord says is that Abraham is to, in verse 19, teach and model the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Right? That you, we have to, like, that is a key phrase for us to understand the development of the story and what is going on and the significance for you and I. So Abraham was to teach his children and his household. Okay, so, so the gospel teaches us, right? Paul in the book of Galatians says that you and I, through faith in Christ, are the household of Abraham. Right, so, so right here you realize the significance of the story is that here we are being given instruction about what it means for you and I to be the spiritual descendants of Abraham. And to be the spiritual descendants of Abraham means that we are to walk in the way of the Lord by doing what is right and good. Um, all right, so now kids, right? So this is why we spend time, your parents probably spend time talking to you about Bible stories. Uh, this is why we spend time thinking about children's ministry and middle school ministry and high school ministry, right? Because we know the importance of helping you understand, adults, this is why we do Bible studies, right? Because we understand the significance of discipling all of us to follow the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. All right, now, let's look at these two words, right and just. So the word right or righteous is speaking to this idea of being ordered by the ethics of God, right? There are certain rules, certain commands that he reveals to us and that these are the way of life. And to, to do what is right means that we order our life by these ethical norms that he has given us, not in order to earn salvation, but as a result of the salvation that we have already been given. So, so um, to do what is just means that we act on those things in a way that we are pursuing the flourishing of the people and the places around us. So this is the kind of community that Abraham was supposed to create. Does he do it perfectly? No, he doesn't do it perfectly, right? Does Israel, as you look at the history of Israel, does Israel do it perfectly? No, they don't do it perfectly. Does the church do it perfectly? No, the church doesn't do it perfectly, right? But that's what we're called to do. That's what we pursue. That's where we're supposed to go. Uh, and so what that means in part, I think there's two, two kind of implications of this. The first one I'll give you now. The second one I'll give you later. The first implication of this for us, this application of this, is a pursuit of holiness, but the first implication of this is a pursuit of following the ways of the Lord. And this is the life of holiness. So kids, the word holy, it's a big theological word, all right? Uh, and what it's, the, the simplest way of understanding the word holy means that something is set apart. It's, it's 
given a different status for a specific purpose. So in the Old Testament, if a pitcher was made holy, that pitcher was only supposed to be used for worship, right? When people are said to be holy, that means that they are being set apart for a specific purpose, okay? Now, who is holy? Are priests holy? Are pastors holy? Are elders holy? Are church staff holy? The answer is all of us who have faith in Christ are holy. We are all set apart by God to be this community that's following in the ways of Father Abraham in order to follow the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Uh, and so this is uh, 1 Peter 2.9. Abraham isn't a priest, but he's functioning as a priest. But guess what? You and I are priests. Right? I'm not a priest by function of my being your pastor. We are all priests by function of what God has said is true of all of us. In 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. Why? Think of how similar what he, Peter, says here is to what God said to Abraham. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Abraham was called to function in a priestly kind of way in order to show the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. You and I are called as priests. You and I are called as a holy people to demonstrate the praises of the one who called us out of his out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Or to use the language of God in Genesis 18, right? To show the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. All right, so that's Abraham's unique status. That's, that's what's packed into that kind of offhanded comment where God, it's almost like he's talking to himself. Should I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? Uh, now, what is it that's going on? What is, what is the situation? And we see that um, in the next verses. All right, now kids, I have a question for you. What do the bat signal, Susan's horn in the Chronicles of Narnia, and dialing 911 all have in common. All the adults are stumbling. Like, hmm, what do these things have in common? You use them when you need help, right? You use these things when you need help. Well, in Scripture, when we need help from God, what do we use? Prayer, all right? So what's happening in the story is this. This is what God says to us. He says, the Lord said, he's speaking to Abraham, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. So what's going on? What's going on is that God is in heaven, right? He's This, the, this is the picture that we're being given. Right? God is the king in heaven and news has reached him of just how oppressed the peoples around these two cities are. Things have gotten so bad that they're crying out to God for help and prayer and news has reached him. And so he's going to investigate. He's going to find out, are things really as bad as the news that I have heard? Now the word outcry is really, it's rather an interesting word. So if you're, you know, um, one of the interesting things about studying the Bible is that that um, scripture, when it was originally given, was not a written document, right? 
it was originally stories. And so certain themes, certain words conveyed connections that, uh, that for people would immediately elicit a response, right? And we have the same thing today, right? There are certain words or phrases that if you're from the United States, if you've grown in the United States, uh, if I say certain phrases, they will immediately elicit a certain type of response that may be very different from the response you would get if you're from a different culture or a different society. Uh, so the word outcry here is the same word that's used in Exodus 3 when God says to Moses, I've heard the outcry. I've heard the cry of Israel. It's reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. It's the same word that's used in Psalm 34 and in Nehemiah 5 when uh, we're talking about people who are crying out to God because they are being oppressed. It's the same word that's used in Deuteronomy 22 that's speaking about the cry of women who are being assaulted. And what God is saying is that the outcry has been so great and the report of, the, of what's happening is so awful, so grievous, so bad. It's like, I gotta go see for myself. Now, it's easy for us to assume that Genesis 19, which we'll look at next week, is the only place that tells us just how bad things were. But if you look at the next slide, what you see is that there, were, there are several passages of Scripture that outline for us just how bad things were. And so what's happening here is that the wickedness of these two cities had gotten to a point where the people around them were suffering so greatly and they're calling out for help. And so the Lord hears their call and he comes. Why does he come? Doesn't God already know? I mean, if God is all-knowing, then doesn't he already know what's going on? Doesn't he already understand that these things? And the answer is yes, God does know that all of these things are true but he wants Abraham and he wants you and I to know that he doesn't rush to judgment. He wants you and I to see that he is not hasty, he is not rash, but he responds to the cries of the oppressed and he will do what is right. So the question for us is like, what are the outcries for us today? Right? If, if we are like Abraham, set apart to be this people that are to show the way of the Lord by doing what is right and good, and, and we see that connection for us is that we are a royal priesthood, we're a holy nation because of what Jesus has done for us in the gospel, that we're set apart, we're descendant of Abraham in his spiritual lineage. We're like great, great, great spiritual grandchildren of Abraham. Uh, and, and God says, I've heard the outcry, and he wants Abraham to hear the outcry, then the question for us is, where are the places where we see outcry? Well, the list is like crazy long, right? I mean, there are so many places that we can go. So we as a, and, and here's the thing, right? As, as individuals, um, we recognize that there are certain outcries that resonate more deeply with you as an individual. Um, and, and so our job as a church is, you know, come alongside you and in the places where we can, we can resource you 
uh, to think theologically about these things, to think biblically about those things. That's, that's the role we play in that. But as a church, as a community, when we all gather together, we say, like, these things responding in this way is important for us as a family, as a community. Uh, and so we have said there are four areas that we primarily want to put our attention to. And those four areas are homelessness, foster care, human trafficking, and refugees and immigrants. And there are a few organizations that because of relationships that we have, that we want to be particularly paying attention to their needs. Alma, Servant Church, Strong, David's Harp. That, is that all of the outcry? No. But those are the places where at this point we're putting our emphasis. All right, so what have we seen? Um, Abraham is called to this unique role. We're descendants of Abraham, so we follow him in this unique role. Um, God is inviting Abraham to pray. Uh, God hears the outcry of the oppressed. We need to be have our ears tuned to hear the cries of the oppressed. And then finally, we see uh, Abraham's priestly intercession. Uh, in the same way that Christopher Wright really was helpful in helping me think through and form point number one, a friend of mine by the name of Josh Raitana, who's a pastor in Cincinnati, uh, helped me to think through and formulate what I want to say here in this third point. Um, all right, so Abraham is invited to pray, right? So God says, shall I hide from Abraham? You know, you know, like, I don't know if I should tell you this. You ever done that? I don't know if I should tell you this. Uh, you've already decided you're going to say it, right? It's almost like a rhetorical thing. God is saying, oh, Abraham, there's something I want to tell you. And by telling him what's about to happen, he's inviting him to respond. He's inviting him to pray. Abraham approached, so then what happens? So Abraham hears what's going on, and then Abraham says, uh, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of the earth do right? As I was looking at this passage this week, I was like, man, that's, that's the question that we all ask when we come to Genesis 19. Seriously? Like, you just, you just did that? And the reason we often do that is because we don't read Genesis 18. We jump straight to Genesis 19 and we see the judgment that will come, but we don't see what led up to it and realize like this was not a rash decision. Abraham asks the very question that you and I wrestle with is, is that doesn't sound fair. Have you ever said that? That doesn't sound fair. And Abraham, in a way, is like, God, are you, are you sure about this? Like, this does not sound like who you are. And so he begins with this kind of mixture of humbleness, you know, the way he's like, um, don't be angry with me, but just, just if I could just ask one more thing. If I may, just like, can I, one more, can a little bit more? And yet with boldness, I mean, it's like, hey, 50 people, how about 45? 40, 30, 20, 10? There's a really important lesson here. I mean, what, why is it that Abraham is so bold 
in praying. Like, how often do you barter with God like that? You know that he welcomes that? He wants you to go to him in prayer. He wants us to come and bring our requests before him. And the reason that Abraham can be humble, he has to be humble, right? This is after all Yahweh. But the reason he can be bold is because God said, I need to tell you what I'm about to do. And by virtue of saying that, he's saying, I want you to respond. He is not asking Abraham to be a passive observer any more than he asks you and I to be passive observers. He's inviting Abraham into a life of prayer. So what we can't, right, if we look at Genesis 18 and we see what's happening here, we can't say that God was this mean, vindictive, ancient New Eastern deity that just decided he had had enough with the city and decided to zap them off the face of the earth. But that's what we will, if we're not thoughtful and careful in the way that we read, it's, you know, that's not out of the realm of possibility of how we interpret the passage. But what we see is that the situation had gotten so bad that the outcry of those around the city was so desperate. So they're like, please do something. And the Lord comes, and he's very measured in his response. He's going to go see for himself. And Abraham prays and, and intercedes on behalf of the righteous. And God is willing to pretend people. We don't know how big Sodom was, but it would have been several. These would have been large cities. There, there's been some archaeological discoveries that people think, ah, maybe this is Sodom. Uh, but the dating of artifacts doesn't match up with when we think the city of Sodom existed. Uh, but these were large cities that we're talking about. So we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Ten. Ten people God is willing to be gracious. Uh, because the Lord invites Abraham to pray. Now, what does this mean for us? The Lord invited Abraham to pray on behalf of Sodom, in the same way that he is inviting you and me to pray on behalf of San Diego. He is inviting us to tune our ears to the outcries, to the ways that people are suffering in our city, and he is inviting us to do something about it. And it begins with prayer. We started several months ago, Chad mentioned this earlier in the service. This is part of the reason why several months ago we said like we need to bring before the Lord on a weekly basis these issues. I, last week, um, when, you know, when Sarah, Sarah Jane was praying about homelessness, like I was like, oh man, that is my heart. I am so torn. I pulled up this morning and I see all those tents out there and I'm like, oh, Lord Jesus, when will you come and make this right? And if I'm honest, there's a, there's a confliction of all kinds of emotions that I experience, right? And, I'm not, and I know I'm not alone in that because I've had conversations with many of you about this, right? And so what's the response, right? We, what do we do? We cry out. We pray. 
we call out, it's like, Lord Jesus, I don't even know how to wrap my mind around some of these problems. Human trafficking, I don't know how to wrap my mind around that. I don't know how to wrap my mind around foster care. I don't know how to wrap my mind around refugees and immigrants. You mean to hear the news of, what was it, 51 people that were killed in the back of a tractor trailer because they're trying to come into our country? Like, that should not happen. Like, this is not, this should, those things just shouldn't happen. And yet they do. And so in prayer, we cry out to God. In prayer, we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, these things do not make sense. We, um, we're getting ready for the fall. We're thinking about different things. Uh, and, and as you know, and I, and I mentioned to you all, I was like, you know, I'm trying, I've been here a year. I think it's actually a year this week that I preached, you know, the, will you, will you marry me sermon? Um, and, uh, and yeah, which is crazy. And, and so we've been here for a year. And so now we're at this point where I'm like, okay, I feel like now I've been here long enough where, where I'm beginning to understand briefly, you know, not, not deeply yet, but I'm beginning to understand some of the dynamics and things like that. And part of what we're trying to think through the fall is like, what is Jesus calling us to? And one of the things that's been really helpful for me has been the, the mission statement that, that the church had before I got here, that to help people experience the gospel in every part of their life and share the gospel in every part of the city. And that really has been the framework that I've been using for the past several months. Um, and so children's ministry, youth ministry, that's all under that rubric of helping people, helping kids to adults experience the gospel in every part of their life. But city prayers and then asking you to join us in volunteering next week, that's, that's one of the ways that we want to express seeing the gospel spread, seeing the gospel have influence in every part of the city. I don't know if you're on the fence about whether or not you're going to volunteer next Saturday, but can I ask you to get off the fence? Now, I realize that not everybody can volunteer. Like, I get that. I get that. So, so let me ask you to get off the fence in one of two ways. Get off the fence by going on the app and volunteering, right? Uh, Tell Carrie Ann, you know, you can, you can go and listen to a seminar and that counts as volunteering. Like, come on. That's amazing, right? Or go to Generate Hope or go to San Diego Rescue Mission. Um, or get off the fence by, you know, hey, Siri, remind me to pray. Did anybody's phone just go off? I was hoping to say it loud enough that somebody's phone would resonate. Hey, Siri, remind me next Saturday morning at 9 a.m. to pray for the service day. Kids, many of you are not going to be able to go serve next week, and that's okay. But if your parents are going to go serve, pray with them. Pray for them before they go. Parents, your kids may not be able to come serve you, but talk to them about why you're doing this. Talk to them about why this is important. This is, this is perfectly in line with what God is calling us to do, to be a church, to be a people that follow the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Part of that is our own holiness. We said that earlier in the sermon, right? And then part of that is that holiness, that pursuit of Jesus, 
then translates into ears that are tuned for the outcry of the brokenness in our world, the brokenness in San Diego, and that respond. Remember the movie Hotel Rwanda? I just watched the movie Hotel Rwanda with, uh, with my older two sons recently. There's that scene in the movie Hotel Rwanda where, um, if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. There's a scene in the movie Hotel Rwanda where uh, somebody in the hotel, I can't remember if it's the, the hotel manager or somebody else, uh, the news is on. Uh, and the news reports are happening of the genocide in Rwanda. And um, there's, a, there's a, I think it's an American or a Canadian reporter there. Uh, and, the, and the Rwandan individual says, oh, the news is out. The news is out. People will come now. People will help us. And if you've seen the movie and if you remember what happens, the newspaper reporter says, no. They'll just say, oh, that's really awful and go back to eating their dinner. That's not how the Lord works, right? The Lord doesn't say, man, that's that homeless problem in San Diego. That's really awful. Let me get back to governing the universe. He doesn't say, man, that, that immigration problem at the southern border, that's really, that's a tough one. Hmm, I, hope, I, hope those, I hope those Americans can figure that one out. Let me go back to governing the universe. That's not how he does. And, and you know what? Like he uses you and me. He doesn't have to, but he does. That's an amazing thing, that he uses you and me to be part of the way that he shows the world the beauty of who he is. See, that's the setup for what is one of the most difficult passages in the Bible. But that setup shows us that it's a passage that shows just how God, how committed he is to protecting those who are most vulnerable. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a God who listens to the cries of the oppressed. And we thank you that you are a God who listens to the prayers of your people. We thank you that you are just, but that your justice is not hasty or rash. It is measured and wise. We thank you that you have called us to pursue you. Uh, by doing what is right and just. And that you've not called us to do that by ourselves, but that you've given us your spirit to lead us in that way. So Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we ask you, Father, Son, and Spirit, we ask you to please help us this week. Help us next Saturday to be a people who follow the way of the Lord who follow you because you are a God that does what is right and just. And you invite us to follow you and also do what is right and just. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.